house today. Amen? Such a beautiful presence of the Lord in this house this morning. I want to remind you as, as you're preparing to, to get into the Word with us this morning, go ahead and get your Bible out, be ready. But I want to remind you today that uh, we have our Candy Palooza this afternoon from 3.30 to 5.30. And um, we'll have inflatables, pony rides, snow cones, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of fun and, and for the kids, for the family. Also, um, we'll have, of course, trunk or treats, so candy for the kids and, uh, and for, the, for the adults who like to eat candy, which is me. So it's going to be a lot of fun today, a lot of fun. Uh, starts at 3.30, photo booth, we'll have a photo booth, take your picture in front of it. It's really going to be really pretty photo booth and a fall-themed photos uh, area. And uh, you want to take that, put that on Facebook, tag that, tag the church and everything. It's going to be a good day. Uh, so for the, for the first hour or so, the inflatables and the pony rides and all that stuff will be, will be open before we, before we open up for the trunk or treat um, at 4.30. But be here, 3.30, if you are participating in the trunk or treat, if you have a car that you're decorating and you're giving candy out of, um, be, here, be here by 3 o'clock so that that's set up and ready to go. And uh, then around 4.30, we'll line up all the kids, and they will take their march down the car line and get candy and, and have a lot of fun. So that'll be this afternoon from 3.30 to 5.30. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your neighbors. We passed out, we gave out a, about 900 flyers of invitations to, uh, to our trunk or treat this afternoon. We've given out about 900 flyers. And, uh, and so we're expecting at least some folks to show up out of those 900. And um, we want, we need your help. We need the church to be here to support and to and to do whatever you can do to help. There's a lot of things that need to be done this afternoon. Uh, we need help with parking. We need help with uh, setting things up, tearing things down. So uh, I'll probably be here all day, but we're gonna have a good time and a lot of fun. So we're gonna be here this afternoon. Also, real quick, uh, on your way out, grab a uh, grab a calendar. You can grab a calendar on your way out and. Uh, Put that on your on your refrigerator. Um, if you're like me, you don't use paper, and um, you will just put it on your. You will just open up your phone and be good to go. Um, paper kills trees, and um, unless we're going to replant trees, we don't want to use paper. All right. So, but seriously, grab your calendar on the way out. Lots of good stuff happening, and I'm going to grab my coffee. Sorry, y'all. Um, lots of good stuff happening. On the calendar this month, there's a there's a um, there's ladies event, a ladies uh, brunch at the Spot of Tea, in, in, in coming up in November. There's Friendsgiving. We're having Friendsgiving this year on a Sunday after church, a Sunday evening. Um, it's in the calendar. There's a sign up sheet on the connection uh, table out there, the welcome desk. Sign up what you're planning on bringing to our Friendsgiving. We'll have a lot of fun. We're just gonna eat. And eat and eat and eat and eat and eat for the glory of God, and um, so we're and, and we're gonna have fun too, because if you're like me, eating is a lot of fun. Um, so that's gonna be happening uh, in, in, in November. Youth have a youth giving event they're having, uh, men's breakfast. Uh, can you believe it's almost Christmas time? The end of the month we're gonna be decorating for Christmas, um, and, and it's just gonna be a lot of fun. So pick up your calendar on your way out. And uh, sign up for Friendsgiving, sign up for your food that you want to bring. We're going to have just fellowship time 
and a lot of fun there. Also, this Wednesday night, you'll also see on here is a, a menu for our midweek meals. And um, so you can check that out. You can see our midweek meals. You want to you place, sign up for that. You can sign up at the connection desk out front. There's a place to sign up out front. You can also sign up online so that we know how much to plan for. This, this week, this Wednesday night, check this out, y'all. This Wednesday night, we are having pork loin, macaroni and cheese, green beans, and a roll. Come on, somebody. Miss Rachel's going to be cooking, and uh, we're going to have a great, a lot of, uh, we'll have some good food this, this week, all right? So if you're tired of Little Caesar's Pizza, you can be here Wednesday night, all right, to get some food, to get some food. Also, something else that's happening in, in November, um, on November the 14th, is one of the, one of the, one of the uh, necessities and important events in the church and uh, we will be having that Sunday after church, before we come back for Friendsgiving, that Sunday after church, um, we will be having a, a, uh, a vote for our church and pastor's council. And so in, in my hand here is the, uh, the requirements of a church and pastor's council from the Church of God's Minutes. And, um, and I'm just going to read over it to you real quick and then, and then so that you're able to, to understand what's going on. The Church of Pastors Council, this is from the Church of God Minutes, section 52, part 1. When a local church deems it practical to have a church and pastors council, said council shall be elected by the governing body of the church consisting of the loyal members. Members of the church and pastors council shall be loyal members of the church. The council is to be elected. That's part two, part three, part four. I'm going to skip down to number two, size and chairmanship. The number on the church and pastor's council shall be membership up to 100, not less than three counselors. So we will be electing two counselors because we already have one that has served and, is, and will continue to serve. The pastor serves as chairman of the church and pastor's council, shall call all regular monthly and quarterly meetings and may sp call special meetings as needed. No meeting shall be called without the permission of the pastor, district overseer, or state overseer. Number three, qualifications of a church and pastor's council. Acts chapter four, 6, verse 3, taken from the King James Version. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Okay, that's from the Church of God Minutes. A member who serves on the church and pastor's council must be a loyal member of the church, adhering to its teaching, baptized in the Holy Ghost, faithful in tithing, a regular church attendant, one who works in harmony with the local, state, and general church's program and reflects a cooperative attitude toward the progress of the church. Duties and responsibilities. The Church and Pastors Council, under direction of the pastor, shall promote the general and state outreach programs of the church. The Church and Pastors Council shall work in harmony with the pastor and assist him or her when called upon in the institution and direction of the local church program in the following areas. Spiritual, the Church and Pastors Council, under direction of the pastor, shall encourage spiritual growth of the local congregation with emphasis on personal Bible reading, prayer, family devotions, tithing, and giving, Christian service, and personal witnessing. Two, financial, 
The church and pastor's council, under the direction of the pastor, shall approve the disbursement of church funds. This does not include women's ministries money. All major disbursements must be approved by the church in conference, and each congregation shall determine what amount constitutes a major disbursement. And third, physical. The church and pastor's council, under the direction of the pastor, shall provide and maintain proper building facilities for the congregation and a proper residence for the pastor. The council shall see that all church properties are properly insured and tax-exempt when the secular government provides such exemption. So, um, those are the qualifications and requirements for a church and pastor's council. And there may be question about, okay, so who all, who can serve on a church and pastor's council? Again, these are the requirements. A, lo a loyal member of the church, adhering to its teachings, baptized in the Holy Ghost, faithful in tithing, a regular church attendant, one who works in harmony with the local, state, and general church's program, and reflects a cooperative attitude towards the progress of the church. Those are the requirements for a church and pastor's council. There were, there were some additional stipulations um, years ago based on, based on um, gender, but those are, are, are removed. If you are willing to serve on the church and pastor's council, we would like you to get one of these pieces of paper and circle yes. If you meet the requirements to serve on the church and pastor's council, if you do, circle yes. If you don't, circle no. Okay? Then put your name on here and the, and the date that you are, are, are letting us know that you are willing to serve. Um, once we have these back again, we will have a vote in, um, on November the, the uh, 14th. Once these are, are back, we'll have, a, we'll have a pool of folks that we know are willing to serve, and we're going to pray and ask God to give us wisdom as a body of who should serve, okay? So this, this gives us the requirements of who, who is eligible to serve based on the requirements from the Church of God, and then we also want to make sure that, that if you are eligible, that you are willing to serve. You may be eligible but not don't want to serve on a pastor's council, and uh, so so if you're not if you're not if you don't meet both of those, don't circle yes to both of them. All right, it's that that simple. These are, will be available also um, outside on the connection desk. Please grab one if you like to and give it give it back to me. Okay, give it back to me. Um, that will happen on the 14th. We will also be having a, let me check this calendar on paper here for you folks. On the 8th, or excuse me, on the 7th, which is next Sunday, if you are not a member but you are interested in becoming a member, we will have a membership breakfast next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, I believe it is. What time does it say here? 8 a.m. is what it says on my paper. So it's probably 8.30. Um, anyway, Connection Breakfast next morning if you're interested in becoming a member and you are not a member of the church. Maybe you've been coming for a long time and you've not joined. Maybe you've not been coming for a long time and you would like to, to learn more about what it means to, to join the church. Be here next Sunday morning and uh, we will have uh, some donuts and uh, some coffee. And uh, we'll talk to you about what it means to be a member of the local body, uh, New City Church, as well as the, the teachings and uh, 
the core values and the mission of this local church as well as the mission of the church of God, uh, the denomination of which we are a part. All right, so one other thing I want to mention to you before we dig into the word this morning is um, as, um, tithes and offerings. Make sure that this morning that, that you are able to give, uh, that you give uh, faithfully. Thank you for your faithful giving, your generous giving. Remember, giving is an act of worship, obedience, and faith. And I, I don't know if I've told you guys this or not, and uh, so if I have, bear with me. Um, I, was, I was talking to somebody this week, and, and, and this conversation came up. Several, several years ago, when we planted our first, our first church that we planted, we had served as youth pastors and then for, for many years, and then uh, interim pastor for, for, for several, six to eight months, and then we planted a church. And, um, and in the church that we planted, we did not pass an offering when we, when we began to, uh, to serve. And, and this was before everybody was giving online. Like today, you know, most everybody gives online. Well, most everybody didn't give online. You, you put, wrote a check, you could put it in, in the bucket. But we didn't, we didn't uh, pass a bucket. We didn't receive an offering. We, had, we did communion every Sunday. And we had a basket set on the communion table. And I would tell folks, freely you have received, freely give. And if you would like to give, please give. It didn't work out very well for us financially, but... But it's, it's, it was an issue that I had. I'm going to tell you, I was having this conversation. I want to tell you a little bit about it, why we did that and why I don't do it that way anymore. I didn't want to give. I didn't want to, I didn't want to pass a bucket because I hate, with a passion, um, the corruption of and the manipulation of receiving an offering for blessing what does that mean it means i don't like to I, I don't like what we see on tv on a lot of prosperity gospel type folks who who promise this certain thing if you'll give this much amount of money there's even been most recently one guy has been talking the more you give if you'll give if you'll give if you'll give the lord will come back sooner like for real like legit the more money you give the quicker jesus is going to come back quicker Jesus might strike that preacher down, but I don't know that the quicker. And so I, I, I didn't want to be associated. I'm just being honest. I'm sorry if, if I'm taking up too much time. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be associated with that, so I didn't take up an offering. And the Lord, one day in prayer, the Lord was like, Lord was like, you need to take up an offering. I was like, I don't, I, I don't like to do that. I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to, 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 to I don't want to be associated with that type of ministry. And the Lord said, that's pride. Like, well, thank you, Jesus, for that. He said, you're prideful. You're not ashamed to encourage folks to raise their hands in worship, to sing, to dance, to shout. You're not ashamed to encourage people to, to, to read their Bibles. You're not afraid to encourage folks to, to, to fellowship. You're not afraid to encourage folks to worship and be obedient in any other way other than giving. And I said, okay, Lord. And that's when it was placed in my spirit that giving is an act of worship, 
obedience and faith. And that's why just about every time I talk about giving, I say giving is an act of worship, obedience, and faith. And I'm not going to be ashamed to remind us that we can worship in our giving, that giving is an act of obedience, and giving is an act of faith. And we need to give. so this morning, I just want to remind you as you give this morning, remember that you are giving as worship, as obedience, and as faith. You are giving as unto the Lord. We need to reach budget for October. This is the last Sunday to reach budget for October, and we still, and tomorrow is November, and we need to reach budget for the first week of November. Be faithful in your giving. Be faithful in in the giving of your, your tithes and offerings. And God will be faithful as well. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for for what you're doing in this body. I pray now, Lord, that as we get into your word, your word would get into us. And that we would bear much fruit, Jesus. Fruit of righteousness. Fruit of repentance. Fruit of good works and fruit of the Spirit. And we will be faithful to you. We will be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about about Reformation Sunday. But before we dig into Reformation Sunday, last last week um, I I had a sermon prepared and planned, and... um, the Lord just shifted the way the service went last week and um, and just interrupted us last week. He's in, in, in the, whenever the Lord interrupts us, it, it's for our it's for our good and his glory. And so the Lord interrupted us last week. But but I, I posted some thoughts on, on, on the blog this week and shared some ideas of one of our core values, and that, that core value is culture. And, and in that blog post over the over the past few days, I, I talked about a rubric of receive, reject, and redeem. And if you've ever worked in the school system, you've heard rubric more than you've heard it anywhere else in your life. Rubric is not a word anyone uses anywhere until they go to work in a school. And then you hear it every day. But I have a rubric for you this morning. And that's the rubric of receive, reject, and redeem. We're talking about culture, right? What does this mean, receive, reject, redeem? All right, receive, it means that there are things in culture that are part of God's common grace to all people that can, a Christian can simply receive, simply receive, right? Just just common grace to all. That's what. Then we've got things that are we are to reject. There are things in culture that are sinful and are not beneficial whatsoever. Okay, so there are things that we can receive in culture, in the world that we live in, that are, that are fine. We've received, it's not, they're not, they're not quote-unquote Christian, thing, Christian things, they're just things that we can just receive. Going to a doctor, we can receive that, right? Um, typing on an iPad, we can receive that. 
Drink out a cup of coffee to the glory of God. We can receive that. There are things that we can receive. Then there are things that we are to reject, just reject. Well, something that we should just reject because it's sinful and not beneficial in any way. An example of that would be, would be pornography. Pornography should be rejected. It has no redeeming value. It must be rejected by the Christian. We're not, we, can't, we can't redeem pornography. There is no pornography for the glory of God. Okay? So we can receive some things. We can reject some things. But then there are some things that we can redeem. There are things in culture that are not bad in and of themselves, but can be used in a sinful manner. And therefore, if we as Christians are going to use them, we must, we must redeem them. All right? An example of, of this would, would, would be sex. So porn is a, is a, is a perversion of, of sex, but, but sex is, is God's creative design and God's good gift. And so we can, we can either choose to use sexuality in a way that, is, that it should be rejected, or we can choose to, to, to walk godly in our sexuality and, and use sex for the glory of God. But these things require discernment, how we are to, to receive, reject, or redeem. And so we, we have to wrestle with these questions. And the reason we do that is because cultural engagement is not an option for the people of God. We have to be engaged culturally. It doesn't mean that we receive everything that culture does. It doesn't mean that we re reject everything that culture does. But we have to engage because we live in the world. And I don't believe God has called us to be monks in a monastery. He has called us to be ambassadors in the world. So we have to have a, a commitment to engage culture. Now this has to do with how we believe we've been called by God to engage the world around us and to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. We believe that God has called Christians to be kingdom representatives in the world. We believe that Jesus was our ultimate example of being a kingdom representative by leaving his heaven and becoming a man. We believe that Jesus taught us how to live in the world, engage culture, and love the lost while living for eternity. And we see in the lives of the apostles a willingness to use culture to advance the kingdom. And so our core values line up directly with our core vision here. We cannot know God and make God known apart from a commitment to biblical truth, connectivity to the local church community, and cultural engagement. We cannot make God known if we are engaging the lost. So for just a second, I want to talk about cultural engagement. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ and from the kingdom of God. We are called to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. We are called to go into the streets. We are called to love the lost and go where the lost are. We are called to invite whosoever will. Let them come. We are called to invite whosoever. I don't care who they are 
what their background is, what they look like, where they come from. Our job is to invite them to Jesus. Again, we see throughout all the New Testament a willingness to use the culture to advance the kingdom without embracing the ideologies or the sin of the spirit of the age. It is possible, church, even a requirement for the church to engage culture without compromising concrete biblical conviction. It is possible, even a requirement, I'll say it again, for the church to engage culture without compromising concrete biblical conviction. It is possible, even a requirement, though, for the church to recognize that some convictions that we have individually are personal and are not universal convictions from Scripture. Now, there are concrete biblical convictions. There are personal biblical convictions. We also must understand that it is possible and even a requirement for the church to live as missionaries in a post-Christian culture. We do not, listen, we do not live in merely a non-Christian culture. We live in a post-Christian culture. I don't have time to lay out the statistics for you this morning, but I'll say that millennials were the most unchurched generation in our country's history until Generation Z came on the scene. And let me just let me just you know throw this out there: if you are if you are like 25 to 40, sadly you're a millennial. I know you don't want to accept it. But it's the truth. Under that are Gen Z. The majority of Gen Z are unchurched. The vast majority of Gen Z are unchurched. They don't go to church. They don't they don't even believe in the church. So we have millennials unchurched, Gen Z unchurched. And when you live in a culture where the two most recent and largest demographic of people alive today do not go to church, we're not just unchurched, we are post-Christian. The culture move has moved, our culture has moved from merely being unchurched to being post-Christian. Christianity is not part of the thought processes for the majority of Americans. And for the majority of Americans, when they think of Christianity and when they think of evangelicalism especially, they don't even think of Christians, they think of politics. Our culture, this post-Christian culture that we live in, does not care about the norms of Christian culture, and they don't even believe that the norms have merit. They don't even believe that our ethics or our morality or our stances on 
sexual issues or gender issues, they don't even think they have merit. So our mission then, church, in a post-Christian culture is to care more about the cause of Christ than fighting some war culturally. Here's what I want you to hear, though. There are times, and increasingly, where the cause of Christ and and culture wars overlap. Right? Let's just be real. Not every culture war that that is fought today has anything to do with Jesus. But when they do underlap, when issues of abortion or sexuality or race, when issues like that are being played out in culture, we as Christians better engage those conversations. But when we engage those conversations, we must make sure that we are engaging and carrying the banner of Christ into the battle into the culture war and not a banner of politics or a banner of rightness or a banner of individualism but we are when we are engaging in these conversations we are engaging as christians first carrying the truth of the gospel of jesus christ and the righteousness of god our post-christian culture needs Jesus. Amen? They need to see the love of Jesus. They need to understand the love of Jesus. And the church must demonstrate our holy love if we want the world to hear our holy truth. I really believe that. I really believe that screaming truth from the rooftops in a post-Christian culture will not cut it because the culture doesn't believe there is a source of authoritative truth apart from themselves. And so until the culture, until the individual experiences the authoritative love of God through the local church, they will not listen to the authoritative truth of Christ from its Christians. It's really what it's always been. Jesus said, they'll know you're Christians by your what? By your love. And if there's no love, they're not going to believe that you're a Christian. And if they don't believe you're a Christian, they're not going to listen to what you have to say because they're not going to think you believe it anyway. So I genuinely believe, I genuinely believe that what brought sinners to Jesus was his willingness to love them engaged them, humanized them, and then he told them the truth. A post-Christian culture, we must embrace and re-embrace the call to love our neighbor as ourself. Because the world knows that that command is in the Bible. One of the biggest objections to Christianity by the world in in post-Christian America is 
if God is a God of love, why does this happen or why is this? Or why can't we just do whatever we want to? Love is love and God is love, so why can't I just love and do? You know where the idea that God is love comes from? The Bible. There is no other religion in history, there is no other religion in the world that teaches that God is love. So we as believers have a world watching to see if we will demonstrate what the scripture teaches us about our own God. And until we live it, the world will not believe it. So we must be willing to engage the culture and use the culture where possible. We fear redeem, reject, receive. Use the culture where possible, demonstrate the kind of love this kind of godly love to a post-Christian culture. So we can either, we can embrace the culture. Sometimes we have to reject the culture. Sometimes we can redeem the culture. But how can we embrace the culture and use it as a tool to advance the gospel? Well, we take what's being given. We take what's been given. One way we're going to today is we're going to redeem an aspect of our culture. Halloween is today. Nobody in this church knew that because we are such committed Christians that we did not even know Halloween was on a calendar. So what are we going to do? We can, we can choose to redeem it. How do we redeem it? Well, we point people to Jesus on this day. We give folks an opportunity, invite them to our church. They're going to be most of this post-Christian world, most of this post-Christian culture. They're going to go trick-or-treating. They're going to go get dressed up as, with costumes. What can we do? On this day that's built in, we don't have to celebrate evil, but we can, we can overcome evil with good. go so far as to say we as Christians should not celebrate evil. Things that have to do with the occult or witchcraft or, or the demonic or things that promote horror and fear. I, Christians shouldn't have anything to do with that stuff. But we can redeem aspects without embracing the whole thing. So today we will take a chance at redeeming something and overcoming evil with good. So that's one of our values here at New City Church is culture. How can we reject, redeem, or, or receive culture and how can we use it for the glory of God? Another one of our core values is commitments. Commitments. What are commitments? Commitments are our doctrinal beliefs. They are our theological foundations. What are those? Well, the apostles' doctrine, the creeds, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, Wesleyan Arminianism, the Church of God Declaration of Faith. This morning, 
If you did not know, and I've mentioned it earlier a little bit, is it is Reformation Sunday. So this morning on Reformation Sunday, and I'm super stoked about this, this morning on Reformation Sunday, we're going to look at one of our doctrinal commitments, and that is the, that is the, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. That's today. Today is Reformation Sunday. So what is Reformation Sunday? Reformation Sunday is the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Got a video I want to see, a real short video that's going to give you a quick overview of this great day in the history of the church. Check this out. Martin Luther was a German friar in the early 16th century. He was dedicated to a religious life, but it drove him to deep spiritual despair. In 1507, Luther became a priest, and shortly thereafter, he was offered a position to teach theology at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. By 1512, Martin Luther had earned his Doctor of Theology, spending the rest of his career in that position at the university. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther is said to have nailed his 95 theses to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg. These were 95 revolutionary ideas that served as the catalyst for the eventual breaking away from the Catholic Church and were later instrumental in forming the movement known as the Protestant Reformation. Luther's 95 Theses called for a full reform of the Catholic Church and challenged other scholars to debate with him on matters of church policy. Many of Luther's views the Catholic Church deemed heretical. His refusal to recant these views eventually got Luther excommunicated from the church in 1520. In 1521, after a month of hearings before religious and government authorities, Martin Luther was declared an outlaw, requiring his arrest as a notorious heretic. On his way to jail, Luther was kidnapped by masked horsemen, but it was a staged event by a wealthy supporter of Luther named Frederick III. The kidnappers ended up delivering Luther to the safety of Wartburg Castle in Eisenach, Germany. Remarkably, during a year of protective custody here at the castle, Luther performed the incredible feat of translating the Bible's New Testament from Greek to German. By 1534, Luther and his associates completed the translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into German and published the entire Luther Bible. Luther's version of the Bible quickly became popular and influential, contributing to the development of the German language and literature. It also influenced other common language translations, such as William Tyndale's English Bible. So that's the story of Martin Luther, theologian, rebel, translator and spark for the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. That's about the uh, most brief biography on Martin Luther you'll find. I want to read to you for a moment from this study on the Reformation called the uh, Echoes of the Reformation. The Accidental Reformation. Let me read this to you. On October 31st, 1517, a decade after his ordination as priest, Luther nailed his now famous 95 Thesis to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Of all these 95 affirmations and concerns, the main point was simple. You can't buy God's grace. 
And you can't override the authority of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church had missed these truths, and that was a dangerous place to be. The church had begun selling indulgences, certificates from the church that guaranteed to reduce the punishment of sins. As Luther saw it, money was also corrupting everyone in power. On top of that, the church taught that the Pope could receive direct revelation from God, that he had the same authority as the Bible itself, and these problems and more pushed Luther to the edge. Like any good leader, he took action. Like any good person who cared for his people, he stepped out when no one else would, and it's important to understand that Luther wanted to reform the church, but he didn't want to spark a divine reformation, a divisive reformation. He was trying to start a new he wasn't trying to start a new denomination. He was trying to be faithful to God's word. As he once said, I ask that men make no reference to my name. Let them call themselves Christians, not Lutherans. But his convictions were strong and his concerns were legitimate. But the gospel compelled him to ignore the dangers associated with stepping out in faith. Even when the road wasn't going to be easy, proclaiming the truth meant more to him than the backlash he would receiving he would receive for defending it. The Reformation completely overturned the, the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Martin Luther is quoted as saying to his followers, preach, pray, but do not fight. The Reformation was a reformation of the heart, not a violent overthrow of power, okay? The main issue Luther spoke about was the selling of indulgences. Indulgences were an abuse of the authority of the church. They promised forgiveness and favor from God. They were certificates from the Roman Catholic Church that guaranteed to reduce the punishment for sins. Again, the, the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences, selling promises of forgiveness. It was corrupt. And the Roman Catholic Church was profiting off of the promises of forgiveness. The priests were profiting. The Pope was profiting. It reminds me of Jesus when he cleared the temple for something similar. Another issue Luther had was that the Roman Catholic Church was teaching that the Pope had the same authority as Scripture. What, that what the Pope spoke as the Pope, his words were equal with scripture and that he could have direct revelation from god in an equally authoritative way as the prophets and the apostles as luther read scripture luther came to be exceedingly frustrated with the roman catholic church and on october 31st 1517 he had had enough and he nailed his 95 theses his position paper to the door of the church. What eventually came out of this public challenge and this discussion of the Roman Catholic Church's practical theology is what's called the Protestant Reformation. The nailing of these 95 theses was a protest against the Roman Catholic Church. And all those who followed Luther were called Protestants. You and I today, we are Protestants, Protestants. It's from protest. The biggest theological idea that came from the Protestants, from this Reformation, 
is what are called the five solas. Sola is Latin, and it means alone. So these five beliefs shape the Protestant Christian thought and practice. And so this morning, yes, we are going to take a look at the five solas. It's not going to be a deep dive into each solo. We don't have time for that, but I want you to become acquainted with them because whether you know it or not, these beliefs shape you, they shape us, they shape the church, and they are beautiful in their simplicity. The first sola is sola scriptura. What does that mean? If you're taking notes, write that down. It's scripture alone, scripture alone, scripture alone, sola scriptura. What does that mean? Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, and for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may may be complete, equipped, fully equipped for every good work. Why was this a big deal for Luther and the Reformers? Well, it meant that the Pope did not have the same authority as Scripture breathed out by God through men and possibly by a woman and recorded and accepted by the church councils as Scripture canon. It means for us today that Scripture is the measuring stick for life and doctrine. It means that if God said it, that settles it whether I believe it or not. The scriptures are perfect and they are authoritative. I believe, listen to me, I believe and affirm everything the scripture says about itself. It is the final say on all matters of life and godliness. What does God have to say about human dignity? Read scripture. What does God have to say about sexuality? Read scripture. What does God have to say about the afterlife? Read scripture. What does God have to say about ethics and morality? Read scripture. What does God have to say about kings and kingdoms and and politics? Read scripture. What does God have to say about truth? Read scripture. What does God have to say about love? Read scripture. What does God have to say about justice? Read scripture. What does God have to say about himself? read scripture what does god have to say about humanity read scripture what does god have to say about life and death read scripture what does god have to say about sin and forgiveness read scripture scripture alone is our final authority scripture alone is our final authority sola scriptura Scripture alone. The next of the solas is sola gratia. Grace alone. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. What is grace? Simply put, grace means unmerited favor. Why was that a big deal to Luther? and to the reformers because it spoke directly against the selling of indulgences. The Roman Catholic Church had promised certain blessings, certain forgivenesses based on the people's ability to purchase it. 
You cannot, according to Scripture, which is our final authority, you cannot purchase grace. It doesn't even make sense. The definition of grace precludes the ability to purchase it. You cannot earn grace. You cannot work for grace. You can work from grace, but you cannot work for grace. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. It's not purchased. It's not bought by us. It was purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. We cannot purchase it. We cannot earn it. Jesus did it. We earn death. We are gifted grace. We are gifted eternal life. Jesus paid the debt we could not pay. And we are not saved by our indulgences or our works or our good behavior. Scripture says all our righteousness is as a filthy rag. And if you will permit me this morning, that word filthy rag has to do with a woman's cycle in Scripture. That cycle, during that time of the month, it made a woman ceremonially unclean. Our righteousness is still ceremonially unclean. It is a blood that cannot save. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can bring forgiveness of sin. It's really, really beautiful when you think about it. Jesus offers us a free gift of eternal life in John chapter 3, 16. Everyone knows it. For God loved the world this way, the CSV translation puts it. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The gift is through Jesus. It's grace alone. You can't earn it. It's grace alone. Salvation is God's good gift. Sola gratia. The next of the five solas is sola fide. Faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says this, For you are saved by, the, by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works. So that no one can boast. This is what scripture says about itself and about our hopelessness apart from Jesus. This is perhaps the cornerstone of Luther's reformation. Luther had serious struggle with his own sin. Luther is recorded of having very intense arguments with the devil. Here's a quote from Luther. He says this, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit
admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. This cornerstone to Luther's reformation was faith alone. Luther understood that there was nothing of his own that could conquer sin and defeat Satan, that his only hope was faith in the grace and the work of Jesus. Luther had no hope in his own work to save him. His only hope was Jesus. Faith alone is in Jesus is what forgives, justifies, reconciles, regenerates us. Hebrews eleven six. Now without faith, remember we went through Hebrews eleven for like a year and a half. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith is what brings the reality of God's grace and applies them to us. Penance, indulgences, good works, none of those please God and are able to bring grace near. Only faith, only faith applies the work of God to us. Sola fide. Faith alone. Faith alone in what? Sola Christus. Christ alone. John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Luther famously challenged the authority of the Pope. He said of the Pope, and he said to pastors, you are not lords over the pastoral office. You have not instituted the office, but God's son alone has done it. What Luther was saying is that Christ is the head of the church. He is the source and the giver of gifts, of gifts to the church by the Holy Spirit. Popes come and go. Pastors come and go. Denominations come and go. Religions come and go. Philosophies come and go. Churches come and go. But Jesus is eternal. Jesus does not come and go. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no Christianity without Jesus. There is no church without Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which humanity can be saved other than Jesus. There is no perfect vision of God aside from Jesus. If you serve a different God than the one as revealed in Jesus. You serve a God contrary to Scripture who would be no God at all. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. There is, there is no hope apart from Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the first and the last. Last. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the exact representation of God to humanity. Jesus alone can save us. Christ alone can deliver, justify, redeem, restore, renew, rebuild, reconcile. Christ alone is the King, the Lord. 
and Redeemer. Christ alone is our great God and Savior. Sola Christus, Christ alone is our hope. Sola Christus. There is no other name under by men can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. You will not be asked what church you belong to. You will not be asked what your good works were. You will not be asked what religion you practiced. You will not be asked what things you avoided. You will not be asked whether you are Protestant or Catholic. You will be asked who has purchased you by his blood and who have you put your faith in for forgiveness. The only hope is Jesus. Christ alone. Sola Christus. The fifth of the five solas is soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Psalm 19 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17 in the Christian Standard Bible says this, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Sola fide, faith alone, was the cornerstone of the Reformation. It has been said that solio deo gloria may be the mortar that holds the whole stones of the Reformation together. All this is for the glory of God. Our creation, our redemption, our resurrection, and our glorification are all for the glory of God alone. All the glory goes to God. We didn't create ourselves out of nothing. We can't save ourselves from our sin. We can't resurrect ourselves from the grave. We can't give ourselves a glorified eternal body. We cannot do anything that matters in our own eternal story. Jesus paid it all to him I know I owe even faith is a gift the ability to believe is because we were created in God's image and we long to live in the fullness of that creative intent catechism says the chief end of man is to know God and make God known the chief end of man, who is question number one? The chief end of man is to know God and make God known. It's not an accident that that's part of our mission statement. Part of our
mission is to know God and make God known. It's all for the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. It's all for his glory. Every breath. Every breath. Soli Deo Gloria. Every breath. blessing soli deo gloria every promise soli deo gloria every revelation of Christ in scripture soli deo gloria every soul saved soli Every miracle, soli deo gloria. All things in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, soli deo gloria. It's all for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word this morning. And thank you, Jesus, that everything you have is by you and for you. Everything that has been made that was made was made by you. This morning, God, this morning we give you thanks and grace and, and, and praise that we that we can't save ourselves, but Jesus in your goodness and in your mercy and in your glory, you saved us. And we give you glory, Jesus. We give you glory, Jesus. In Christ alone. In Christ
is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from Till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Heavenly Father, right now, well, there may be some in this room this morning who have not put their faith in Christ alone. Maybe they put their faith in their good works. confirmation they put their faith 
haven't put their faith in Christ alone. This morning, Jesus, you have given us an opportunity to come to you, to receive grace alone, through faith alone, from Christ alone. Spirit through Jesus Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And you would say this morning, Pastor, I put my faith in Christ alone. Would you just slip your hand up across this room? Amen. Christ alone, I place my trust. If that's you this morning, no matter no matter the first time or, or just another time, another reminder, you would say, yes, Jesus, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, I place my trust. In Christ alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you guys so much for joining us this uh, this Reformation Sunday. It's always good, right, to be reminded of you know why we believe what we believe, what the focus of our of our faith is, and uh, those uh, those solas they 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 sum it up perfectly. Everything we believe is by Christ alone and our faith in Him that we accomplish and we overcome everything. So obviously today we have our our candy palooza. So if you guys have a vehicle that you are decorating, please be back and have it ready to go uh, no later than uh, three, uh, so that we can be ready as people come in. And let me share with you guys a, a, an awesome opportunity that presented itself this week that some of you guys may not know about. We actually were invited to be a partner with Call Your Elementary School down the street here, uh, and, and we got to go. Uh, my wife.
wife and pastor went uh, to sit down with some of the staff members and to talk through with what being a partner would entail there. Um, and we were able to give out, how many flyers did we leave with the school? How many? About 800 flyers that went out with students on, on uh, Friday morning. So Thursday we gave, gave them flyers, Friday morning, 800 flyers went out to the students of Collier Elementary School. So we are expecting God to move in that, okay? We believe that God placed us here to be a part of our community, and this is a great step. We have not been able to get in schools because of the, uh, of the COVID stuff. And so we are super excited that we had that opportunity to get into the school. So if you have a vehicle uh, that, that you're going to decorate, please have it decorated, ready to go by 3 o'clock. If you didn't plan on decorating... Bring some pumpkins, throw it in the back. We'll make sure that you have candy to give out to somebody, okay? Uh, if you want to be a part of it and did not get a chance to, to sign up to decorate or anything, we'll make sure that you're taken care of. Uh, let's make sure that we can pour into our community and pour into our own kids because they're super excited about it with the inflatables and everything, okay? We also have this Wednesday night, uh, we have our normal clubs with the, uh, with the children, the the. Uh, Bluebells and the Royal Rangers, uh, and we're also for anyone who has uh, teenagers uh, in the youth group. We are having a bonfire this this Wednesday night. It got rained out last Wednesday night, so we're doing it again this Wednesday night. We're super excited to be able to just hang out and have some some uh, fall type, winter type fun with our students. Uh, and so I'm asking every student to bring what you think would be your favorite thing to go on a s'mores. So we're going to make some non conventional s'mores this Wednesday as well. So we're super excited about that. Um, uh, anything else? What else we got going on? I know we got a lot of stuff on the calendar, Pastor, whenever a lot of that, but those are the immediate things, right? So we're going to dismiss you guys so you guys can, uh, uh, young adults, y'all doing Young Adults Tuesday? So Young Adults Tuesday at the Chambers House, if, you, if we have anyone who's out of high school but, but don't consider themselves an adult, I think we say up to 30 years old, uh, singles or young couples, get with Sean uh, so he can let you guys know what's going on. Uh, with their young adults ministry, okay? So we're going to dismiss you guys so you guys can uh, get ready, uh, go get some lunch and be back for the candy palooza. So uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>